Good day to you, friends. Welcome aboard the One Year Bible Tour as we continue to read through the Bible in a year. It's so helpful to get the overarching story and the full counsel of God in the Scriptures. Man shall not live by sound bites alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Today is August 16th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. My name is David McAdam, and I am happy to serve as your host reader and tour guide, and I'm glad that we get to spend this time together each day reading through God's Word and reflecting upon it. We are in the final two days in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament and still absorbing the truths of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians in the New Testament. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah have been focusing on the prolonged period of restoration in the city of Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile. We have seen the altar, the foundation, the temple, the sacrifices, public worship, and city walls all being restored. Now comes the challenge of repopulating the city so that it becomes a fully functional community, a restored city of the people of God, uh, New Jerusalem as it were. Chapters 11 through 13 of the book of Nehemiah are not only the final chapters of the Ezra-Nehemiah scroll, but they describe the final events in the chronological timeline in the historical narrative of the Old Testament. There will be 400 silent years, as far as the prophetic word goes, before the events of the New Testament, the arrival of the Messiah, when the word becomes flesh. We have seen some parallels between the reconstruction and resettlement of Jerusalem in the Old Testament and the establishment and construction of the church that the Lord Jesus is building in the New Testament. Let's go now to the late 5th century B.C. as Nehemiah takes on getting God's people back on their feet in a fully functioning community in the restored Jerusalem. We will start with Nehemiah chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The Leaders in Jerusalem Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah, Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahalalel, of the sons of Perez, and Maasiah, the son of Baruch, son of Kolhoza, son of Haziah, son of Adiah, son of Joyarib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these are the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshulam, son of Joed, son of Pediah, son of Koliah, son of Maasiah, son of Ithiel, son of Jeshiah, and his brothers, men of valor, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Hasanua, was second over the city. Of the priests, Jediah, the son of Joyarib, Jachin, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, 
son of Zadok, son of Marioth, son of Ahitub, ruler of the house of God, and their brothers who did the work of the house, 822, and Adiah, the son of Jeroham, son of Peleliah, son of Amzi, son of Zechariah, son of Pashur, son of Malchijah, and his brothers, heads of fathers' houses, 242, and Amashai, the son of Azarel, son of Asai, son of Meshilamoth, son of Immer, and their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Hagadolim. And of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, son of Azrikam, son of Hashabiah, son of Buni, and Shabbathai, and Josabad, of the chiefs of the Levites, who were over the outside work of the house of God, and Mataniah, the son of Micah, son of Zabdi, son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise, who gave thanks, and Babukiah, the second among his brothers, and Abda, the son of Shemua, son of Galal, son of Jeduthun. All the Levites in the holy city were two hundred and eighty-four. The gatekeepers, Akub, Talmon, and their brothers, who kept watch at the gates, were a hundred and seventy-two, and the rest of Israel, and of the priests, and the Levites, were in all the towns of Judah, every one in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived on Ophel, and Ziah and Gishpah were over the temple servants. The overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, son of Hashabiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers over the work of the house of God. For there was a command from the king concerning them, and a fixed provision for the singers, as every day required. And Pethahiah, the son of Meshechabel, of the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people, villages outside Jerusalem. And as for the villages, with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its villages, and in Dibon and its villages, and in Jacobziel and its villages, and in Jeshua, and in Moladah, and Bethpalet, in Hazashual, in Beersheba, and its villages, in Ziklag, in Makana, and its villages, in En-Rimon, in Zorah, in Jarmuth, Zanoah, Adulam, and their villages, Bachish, and its villages, and Azekah, and its villages. So they encamped from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. The people of Benjamin also lived from Geba onward, at Michmash, Aijah, Bethel, and its villages, Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hazor, Ramah, Gitaim, Hadid, Zeboim, Nebalat, Lod, and Ono, the valley of craftsmen, and certain divisions of the Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. Priests and Levites, Chapter 12 these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Moloch, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rehum, Merimoth, Ido, Genethoi, Abijah, Mijamin, Maadiah, Bilgah, Shemaiah, Joyarib, Jediah, Salu, Amok, Hilkiah, Jediah, these were the chiefs of the priests and of their brothers in the days of Jeshua. And the Levites, Jeshua, Binui, Kadmiel, 
Sherebiah, Judah, and Mataniah, who with his brothers was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. And Bakbukiah and Unni and their brothers stood opposite them in the service. And Joshua was the father of Joachim, Joachim the father of Eliashib, Eliashib the father of Joiada, Joiada the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan the father of Jadua. And in the days of Joachim were priests, heads of fathers' houses, of Sariah, Meriah, of Jeremiah, Hananiah, of Ezra, Meshulam, of Amariah, Jehohanan, of Maluki, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Harim, Adna, of Merioth, Hilkai, of Ido, Zechariah, of Genethon, Meshulam, of Abijah, Zikri, of Miniamin, of Moadiah, Piltai, of Bigah, Shamua, of Shemaiah, Johanathan, of Joirib, Matani, of Jediah, Uzi, of Salai, Kalai, of Amok, Eber, of Hilkiah, Hashabiah, of Jediah, Nathanael. In the days of Eliashib, Joiada, Johanan, and Jadua, the Levites were recorded as heads of fathers' houses, so too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi, their heads of fathers' houses were written in the book of the Chronicles until the day of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. And the chiefs of the Levites, Mashabiah, Jerobiah, and Jeshua, the son of Kadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them, to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Mataniah, Akbukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talmon, and Akub were gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouses of the gates. These were in the days of Joachim, the son of Joshua, son of Jozadak, and in the days of Nehemiah the governor, and of Ezra the priest and scribe. And this concludes today's portion from the Old Testament, our reading from the book of Nehemiah. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we've observed. Chapters 11 through 13 of Nehemiah are the last chapters of historical narrative in the Old Testament. We read chapters 11 and 12 today. There will be a lapse of 400 years before the events of the New Testament begin. The first part of chapter 11 deals with the challenge of repopulating and settling the city of Jerusalem with its newly refurbished walls. Not more than 50,000 had returned from the captivity, and not many of them were eager to settle in Jerusalem. Life in the city was considered dangerous, but it was imperative for the nation's interest to establish Jerusalem as a viable capital city. The leaders did not ask the people to do what they were not willing to do themselves. They led by example, speed of the leader, speed of the team. They demonstrated a willingness to do God's will no matter what the cost. They chose to model what it meant to be part of Jerusalem's repopulation program and chose to settle in the city rather than the more peaceful country life on their ancestral lands. One out of ten adult males and their families were drafted by lottery to live in the city. Some volunteered. The people commended all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 11 verse 2. Why rebuild the city walls if you're not willing to live there? We might ask ourselves, are we willing to commit ourselves to serve God's purposes when it is not the most convenient and comfortable option? 
Would you be willing to move to strengthen the work of the Lord and extend the witness of the gospel? The provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem are listed. It is interesting that the Levites had the least number of volunteers staying in the city, 284. In Joshua chapter 21, they had been assigned 48 cities, so they could have legitimately lived outside Jerusalem. The descendants of Perez of Judah were 468 able-bodied men, of Benjamin, 928. The priests descending from a high tub numbered 822. They were appointed to carry out the work of the temple. There were 172 gatekeepers recruited to serve on the security team. All the rest of the Israelites settled on their ancestral properties. Singing continued to be a speciality of the family of Asaph. His descendant, Uzi, was the music director of the choir in Jerusalem and supervised the daily activities of the singers. This likely meant daily choir practice. It is wonderful to see these people settling in the lands inhabited by the giants that once intimidated them. In Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 25, and Joshua chapter 14, verse 15, David had appointed 24 divisions of priests to serve in the temple. In 1 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 7 through 19, only 22 leaders of these divisions are listed in Nehemiah chapter 12 as having returned from Babylon with Zerubbabel 100 years earlier in 538 B.C. Perhaps it was not possible to fulfill all of David's desired number of divisions. Eliashib, who is the high priest in Nehemiah's day in chapter 12 verse 10, is the grandson of Jeshua, the high priest who returned to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel from the exile in Ezra chapter 2, verse 1. Now let's go to our reading from the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14, through chapter 11, verse 2. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, 
do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And this is the end of today's portion from the New Testament from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. What is the message? Flee idolatry. Paul has made it clear that there is no other God but the Lord, and therefore, if one has the liberty of conscience and is sure that they will not cause a brother to stumble, they can purchase meat at the store near the temple. But now he is sharing that we are not to be ignorant of the demonic nature of idol worship. He contrasts genuine fellowship, which is partaking at the Lord's table, with partaking at the tables of demons. Christians are not to frequent idol temples, participate in idolatrous rituals, partake of any meal dedicated to an idol, nor are they to dabble in the occult. Idols are not God, but demons are real. In coming to Christ, we have been made partakers of that which is holy. We remember that our new covenant relationship with God was ratified with the blood of Jesus. He paid the full price of our sin debt, that we might be released from our obligation to pay its wages ourselves. We are now partakers of His life and have communion with Him and members of His body, the Church. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17 We must recognize that Christ's finished work of redemption is the ground of our unity. For us to live is Christ. We all live by this one life. There is another reason for the Corinthians to give pause before eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols. They must not give the impression to others that they are partakers of demonic worship. If others are made aware of the fact that you are eating meat dedicated to demons, you are identifying yourself as a demon worshiper and not a worshiper of Christ. We have modern-day applications. While physical stretching in itself may be therapeutic, the very name and origin of yoga, meaning yoked in union with universal consciousness of Brahman, and is inextricably linked to the demonic practices of Hinduism. The sun salutation postures in yoga have symbolic meaning in ritual of giving worship to the sun god, equivalent to Baal in the Bible. To say you practice Christian yoga is equal to saying that you are practicing Christian Hinduism. There can be no such hybrid. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 20-21, through 21, No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Paul sums up a good rule for our behavior. We should do all things for the glory of God and the gospel good of others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. Let's go on now to the book of Psalms, the Bible's songbook, and we will be reading Psalm 34, verses 11 through 22. Continuing our reading from Psalm 34, beginning with verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 
The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 11. This is what we need to learn while we are young. God is to be revered for who He is. He is the supreme authority. He is our all-good, all-wise, all-just, and holy God, creator of heaven and earth. This holy recognition of God the healthy fear of the Lord will give us that extra restraint from lashing out foolishly with our tongues or acting out with our selfish impulses. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. In verses 15 and 16, there are so many wonderful promises in this psalm The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In verse 18, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. In verse 19, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. In verse 22, what a great promise that is. For our next stop on our Bible tour, we go to the book of Proverbs, and we draw out from the treasure chest of wisdom, verses 14 and 16 of Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs 21, verses 14 and 16. A gift in secret averts anger, and a concealed bribe strong wrath. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. Showing kindness, giving a secret gift, can soften anger and turn away wrath. This proverb does not condone bribery, but merely states an observable truth. Your sincere actions can subdue anger. Those who recognize the righteousness of the Lord will rejoice in just and equitable decisions. Those who are wicked and oblivious to the righteousness of God will see justice as an impediment to having their own way. Hopefully, the administration of just punishment for wrongdoing will serve as a warning and cause those who practice evil to fear God and repent. Verse 16 is another way of stating that there are many ways that seem right to a man that end up in death, a thought that is repeated in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and chapter 16, verse 25. Let's take what we've gleaned from our reading today to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we stand in awe as we consider the perfection of your ways. We marvel at your patience as you work all things together for the good of your purposes to those who love you and are called into fellowship with you through the gospel. We celebrate your goodness with joyful praise and worship. Keep us willing to go where you believe we can be most useful. Forgive us for retreating to our comfort zones. Not our will, but your will be done. 
We need not fear calamity, for you have proved yourself to be true to your promise. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you deliver them out of them all. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I trust that you're encouraged by reading the record of God's unfailing love throughout history and his promises to those who are in covenant with him through the gospel. We truly are blessed to know the finished work of Jesus Christ, his perfect redemption, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So until next time, may the good news of God's grace be filling your spirit with joy. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And we also welcome you to our website, newlife.org, where you can receive information about the many ministries of New Life Community Church. And you can also subscribe to a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading of the One Year Bible. Let's meet together tomorrow for more reading of the One Year Bible. Until then, may the peace of the Lord be with you. Shalom. Shalom.